Welcome to Coastal Front. Join us each week as we sit down with the movers and shakers of Vancouver to discuss stories of business, politics, accomplishment, and failure. Our aim is to keep you dialed into what matters most in our city. Now, here's your host, Andrew Johns. Great. Okay, I'm so excited to have you here. David Ebby, Attorney General of British Columbia, a friend of mine. We got to know each other years ago when you were supporting uh, my campaign to change um, Family Day. Congratulations, yeah. by the way. <laughs> well, you were... Mission you accomplished. And, yeah, it was. And uh, we got to know each other really well over the years. Um, I was supportive in your, in your campaign to uh, run in our local riding. I was happy to vote for you, and so was my wife. Um, and now you got this big responsibility as Attorney General. Um, and, uh, and, but we're not going to talk about some of those things you've been touching on. I mean, there's a, we could go on forever. We talk about ICBC and BC Hydro, but, um, today I want to kind of talk about some of the things that are kind of near and dear to both my heart. And I know some of the residents that live in, in the community that we both live in. And so we're going to start with talking about the speculation and vacancy tax. Sure. And then if we have time, we'll dive into the school tax and this uh, upcoming, definitely want to finish off with a public registry. Mm -hmm. Um, now uh, the first thing with the vacancy and speculation vacancy tax, um, how do you think it's been going so far? Like, are you, are you happy with the results? Um, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think it's, um, first of all, it's an incredible challenge to bring in a, a tax like this. It's something that hasn't been done before. Mm -hmm. uh, so usually Ministry of Finance look at, okay, another jurisdiction did something like this. Uh, and this is quite new. Uh, and the interesting thing about it is that it really aims to uh, target a specific cost that's imposed on the province by a certain type of investment and namely that's investment in real estate and that investment brings with it all kinds of externalities uh, including an escalation in the price of real estate, a lowered vacancy rate when people feel like their property is worth more if nobody lives in it and rents it um, and so uh, attempts to put a bit of a price on that and discourage that kind of behavior in our real estate market. So uh, in the sense that it's achieving some of the goals right out of the gate, uh, I'm happy about it. Yeah. Uh, and in the sense that it's a brand new initiative without precedent, I think it's gone well. Um, which is not to say it's been perfect and nobody expected it would be. So yeah. uh, it's, a, it's a work in progress. Yeah. Um, and uh, we've seen, uh, I think we're probably in 1.3 now uh, in terms of... Uh, in version 1.3. Version 1.3. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's talk about version 1.0 mm -hmm. versus version 1.2, which was, and I want to touch, dive into the, um, the area. So we've got a map on here. And when this was first uh, sort of socialized publicly, mm -hmm. um, there were a lot of additional regions, like all the Gulf Islands were included, Parksville uh, area, Parksville, um, Lions Bay, Bowen Island. Mm -hmm. And uh, rightfully, in my view, there was a lot of pushback from some of these communities. And I think also rightfully, the NDB made a, good correction on a number of these locations. I mean, you know, Gulf Islands is, I don't, I, I, even if they have a low vacancy rate, it's not like a place that I think people tend to speculate on. Um, so I think that was a smart move. Now, one of the particular comments or questions I have, if you have a view on this, is Whistler. Now, Whistler is a community with extremely low vacancy. I mean, there's tons of vacant homes, but it's really hard to rent them. I got friends that work up there in this, mm -hmm. in the, and they've actually had to create in the town of Whistler a separate market for what they call, I, I don't know what it's called, but it's a, the idea is it's for residents of Whistler mm -hmm. and it's not market, it's not market priced homes. It's mm -hmm. on a different scale, uh, only available to residents of Whistler. Uh, any, any idea why uh, the NDP government didn't ever include and still hasn't included Whistler in this equation? 
Yeah, I think any municipality that uh, where the elected representatives would like for the community to be included, yeah. uh, certainly they um, should make that known to the Minister of Finance. Yeah, um, I wasn't part of the discussions about which community it would be applied to and which it wouldn't, but I would say that um, Whistler is kind of unique, and so are uh, areas like Sun Peaks yeah. and other resort municipalities in that their model is built on selling real estate to tourists yeah. uh, that come and ski and and uh, engage in that kind of activity. Sure, that and makes that's sense. A, it's a bit of the business model of that community, and it is yeah. a distinction between Whistler and really uh, any other municipality uh, in the province. Um, Whistler does have a very serious housing crisis, so does Tofino, yeah. um, and, uh, and a number of other uh, tourist-dependent communities where people who work in the industry just can't afford to live there. Right. Uh, and Vancouver sees that too. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, it's a challenge that government's very engaged with, including through municipality um, or Ministry of Tourism. Yeah. And one of the initiatives that they've brought forward is allowing municipalities to use some of the hotel tax to build worker housing okay. in those communities to deal with some of that. It is a. It is. Uh, I would say more of a challenge in a community like Whistler that is that has a business model of selling real estate to pay for the resort amenity. Sure. Okay, that makes sense. Now, so I'm I'm not a skier, as you know. It's one of my one of the reasons why I was uh, uh, starkly against the whole differentiating of the family day. Um, I sun, didn't realize that was an anti-skiing initiative. Well, it wasn't an anti-skiing, <laughs> but I mean, it, you know, it was definitely the ski community that lobbied the Liberal government to have it as a different weekend. Sun Peaks is in the Okanagan, right? I mean, Ross, you know, you ski there, right? Uh, yeah, it, yeah. It's, is it, it Kelowna? Uh, uh, no, that's big, Kelowna's big white. Big white. Uh, Sun, uh, um, so, Sun Peaks so, is past Merritt, I believe. Okay. Yeah. But, but if you look at big white, like, so is big white, because Kelowna's in this in this community. Is yes, big is. white, uh, residents of big white, are I they? I don't part? believe it is. I think no? it's urban Kelowna. Urban Kelowna. Okay, yeah. gotcha. Okay, so same premise. The, the NDP kept the big white out of that because obviously... You know, it'd be pretty hard for people to rent out. I'd like to say that's absolutely true. I don't yeah. know that for okay. sure. Okay. Yeah. Um, one of the other ones that came to my attention, and I guess, you know, again, this is not your ministry, of course, but one of the other ones that really uh, came to my attention, because we did a podcast last week with the mayor of Belcara. Mm -hmm. And so Belcara is like, you know, uh, you've got um, uh, you've got Maple Ridge, then you've got Anmore, and then you've got the small little community of Belcara. Mm -hmm. And there's about 28 families there who have like these, uh, you know, multi-generation cabins that many of our water access mm -hmm. and they're still included. There's no public transit in Belcara. Uh, they're still included in this. And so some of these homes have, uh, you know, assessed values over a million dollars. Uh, one that uh, Neil, the mayor talked about in particular, uh, was valued at like $1.3 million. And the home is water, water access only. And you can't even call it a home. Like it's such a decrepit old cabin that was built 60 years ago. Mm -hmm. Yet the owners of that are now being required to pay this, uh, vacancy tax mm -hmm. um, and there's very few people that commute from Belcara into Vancouver yet Lions Bay which is a much larger community um, they were in the version 1.0 and now they're not in version 1.1 mm -hmm. they got excluded as well as Bowen Island um, do you have any thoughts around you know why would a t community like Belcara not be excluded but a community like um, Lions Bay would yeah, so I know the Ministry of Finance is in conversation with a number of the mayors and that mm. uh, the Minister of Finance has a meeting coming up with the mayors. Uh, it was one of the commitments she made when the tax came in was that she would sit down with them after a year to see what the impacts and implications are. I mean, I've seen a number of those properties in Belcare and I wouldn't describe them as cabins, yeah. um, but maybe I have a different perspective. Um, I think that uh, the mayor of Belcare has done a very uh, effective job of advocating on this issue for his community mm -hmm. uh, from his perspective. And uh, the, the advocacy uh, needs to be directed at the Minister of Finance in, in terms of uh, 
why Belcare is included and, and why it's part of the initiative. Okay. Okay. So no real view on that yourself, a little bit outside of your... I don't, I'm afraid I don't know enough about Belcare or the process the Ministry of Finance yeah. followed, um, but I do know that Belcare is located squarely in the lower mainland where the tax applies yeah. to everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's dial it back to our own community. Sure. Uh, one of the other things that um, I've noticed in my area where I live, and uh, I, you know, is there's a lot of empty homes. Mm-hmm. And so... I've been generally supportive of the concept, um, as you've known for years. I mean, way before you guys came into uh, power uh, in, in Victoria, back when you, you and I and Tom Davidoff were talking, and I really liked the concept of their model, which was to tie this to income that's been earned and taxes paid on that income. So mm-hmm. that, you know, people who have contributed over the years, you know, maybe have a little bit of leeway, and people who've come in, foreign, foreign people maybe who've never put a penny in tax into this province, would have to pay. Um, my neighborhood, David, as I've probably told you before, is full of empty homes. Mm-hmm. And I know who some of, I get a sense of who some of the owners are. I, mean, I don't know them personally, uh, but you know, we find out just kind of through the few neighbors that do actually live there. And what I've noticed is that most of these homes are still empty. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the questions I have is, um, look, I'm not really the kind of guy that wants to go around squealing on my neighbors. It's not necessarily the most friendly way to generate, you know, goodwill with your neighbors. But at the same time, you know, look, I'm a hardworking Canadian, pay a ton of tax in this country. And if I've got a foreign owner, which I do actually have one on the right of me, one on the left of me and one right in front of me. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're all, they're all in front all around me. And I'm pretty sure they're not contributing to the society like I am. Um, I don't mind, uh, you know, I, highlighting that to the province. But I don't know if the province is doing anything about it. There's no whistleblower program. Um, and maybe even in your part of our community, you might see the same thing. So how do you know? I mean, you might know because you're in government now. But how do I know that the province of BC is attending to these homes? Because some of them, David, I'm pretty sure they're even paying people to kind of like make it look like it's lived in. <laughs> but, I mean, there's a house down the street. Mm-hmm. And the telltale sign for me was, in, uh, uh, remember uh, near just after Christmas, we had that kind of, that snowy period that was longer than we, you know, most of us British colonies are used to. And, mm-hmm. and there was snow on the ground for like 10 days mm-hmm. and there was no footprints of any type going into that house. Mm-hmm. I mean, could have been away for Christmas, but this house is, we've lived in this neighborhood for five years. No one has ever come in and out of this house once. What are your thoughts on that? Well, th- this is the nice part about the speculation taxes for the first time, uh, the Ministry of Finance has connected social insurance numbers to the ownership of specific properties. Um, so for the first time, the government theoretically knows, um, you know, you, you declared an income of $5,000, $12,000, and you purchased a house that was $4 million. It's a, it's a flag for Revenue Canada in terms of lifestyle audit. It's a flag for British Columbia in terms of benefits that people may be receiving for low-income people. Yeah. Um, and it's a flag uh, if you're declaring that you're not a satellite family. And I think that's what you're describing when you talk about uh, foreign. And, and the important piece for me on that was really that it not be based on citizenship or permanent residency because, first of all, as a practical matter, you can buy citizenship in Canada. People may not know that, but you can buy citizenship. You buy it through Quebec and, and uh, you can yeah, become absolutely. a Canadian citizen. And so it's not really a good measure. And what a good measure is, is are you paying your taxes in British Columbia, in Canada? And uh, the tax very clearly says if you're a satellite family, which means that regardless of your nationality, citizenship, or otherwise, if you're earning the majority of your income outside of Canada and you're not paying taxes in Canada, 
then you have to pay the speculation tax. Mm -hmm. And it's not an insignificant tax. It's 2% on the assessed value of the property. Yeah. Um, and, uh, for non-Canadians. Yeah. For, for satellite families. Yeah, for satellite families. And, uh, and so it, it's specifically aimed at that. And what it's, it's aimed at doing is closing that gap in terms of, you know, you're competing for real estate with people uh, who don't pay uh, the level of income tax that you do in their home jurisdiction where they're declaring their income. Yeah. So it doesn't, it, it shouldn't work that you get the benefit of the social services and the schools and the hospitals and the police, rule of law, good roads, you know, street lights, all these yeah. kinds of things, and you live here while declaring your income in a jurisdiction that doesn't have any of those things because they have so, such a low tax rate. Right. Uh, and then you bring that money in to compete in the real estate market against someone that's paying the high tax rate that pays for all those services. Right. Fundamentally unfair, yeah. and so it's it's aimed at closing that gap between those things, yeah. and and it's the first attempt. Amazingly, it's the first attempt that any government that I'm aware of in Canada has made to connect real estate purchasing with actually a specific individual. And I hope we talk about the beneficial ownership registry. Yeah, yeah, we're going with to a with sure. a real person that has a social insurance number, and then enables Revenue Canada as well to do those lifestyle audits, which they should be doing on this. Should be, yeah. Yeah, I guess you got to lean on them a lot for their part of the. In, in this. Yeah, and we have been, and and the feds have said, you know, we've got a uh, hundred and sixty-ish million dollars over five years to increase enforcement around money laundering and do more lifestyle audits at a Revenue Canada. They haven't deployed any of that money yet. So oh. as as far as I know, things are about the same level in terms of that enforcement. Yeah. But uh, but they have got some resources that they say they're going to deploy. So yeah. we'll see. Well, yeah. I mean, I have a pretty uh, I, I have a pretty uh, critical view of CRA. I get well, we see them chase the waitresses for the tips. We Absolutely. see them chase the small businesses for this or that. And then in the meantime, what about uh, what's happening here in the yeah. real estate market? Well, drives me crazy too. I'm drinking your Kool-Aid right now on that one. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm in my 10th and 13 years of audits. I've never had a bad, uh, they've always kind of, most of the time they end up giving me money back. Um, yet, uh, you know, they're, not, they're not chasing after. And let's, let's go back to it. So I understand the spirit. It's great. You give a good summary. I love the idea. Um, because I do believe that people who haven't contributed to our society through the tax system, the mechanism you've Im implemented is designed to do that. Um, you know, one could argue, and I could get into a debate over like how big that tax should be, because I've got some ideas that I, th I think it's a little too high and it's driving away any foreign money. But we won't spend time on that for a moment because I want to go back to the example of the home across the street. Now, when a home is, uh, when we go and do our annual uh, property tax. Uh, uh, designation. Uh, there's a uh, declaration, right? I, I filled mine out earlier yes. this year. Um, you have to claim whether or not this is a principal residence. Now, if these people are claiming, making, or they're just not declaring, if you don't declare, I mean, especially if you're, the home's empty, you're not even checking your mail, that's the way in which you get them, right? I mean, yeah. you start taxing them, which I think was great. So someone who declares, well, yeah, no, I'm a satellite family. They pay 2% a year you're collecting now income from them that they otherwise wouldn't be contributing. That, that all makes sense. What I'm talking about here is, what about a family who's just like, you know what? I cheated the system getting my money in the country in the first place. I laundered it through a casino or whatever. Yeah. So, you know, people of that standard are gonna go one, I mean, to them, the, the, what's the risk? Might as well just say, yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm not a light satellite family. I own mm -hmm. this place or my son owns this place. Um, how, do, how do we know that that's not being, you know, missed yeah. uh, in, in, through the system? It's a really straightforward check for this because okay. um, you have the social insurance number of the person who's the declared owner and you check it against the taxes that have been paid in British Columbia and then against the value of the property um, and when it was purchased. And so there is an audit team that works with the Ministry of Finance to do that work. 
Okay, uh, so that's being done at the provincial level? That's being done at the provincial level okay. around our speculation tax. At the federal level, they have access to the same information yep. uh, through an information share, sharing agreement with the province. Okay. So they can also access that information, the red flags around broader worldwide income declarations. Are those declarations being made? You may not have to pay tax on them, but you have to declare them to Revenue right. Canada. Um, so there are penalties under the speculation tax. There are penalties under uh, Revenue Canada's. Uh, pieces and also I want to flag for people in Vancouver that there's a, a municipal vacancy tax as well, which is yeah. different. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so uh, that uh, that also um, could potentially apply. Yeah, you're talking about the Van Vancouver empty homes tax That's right. that applies to Vancouver proper. That's right. Um, so does the Ministry of Finance today? I mean, now that this social insurance number, uh, these social num insurance numbers have been submitted. Yes. Because um, I think that was part of the declaration form, right? Yeah. And if you didn't have a social insurance number, then what you just said, you don't have one and you're a foreign, I mean, how would that work? Well, you if know? you don't have one, then you're not paying tax in Canada, then you're, you're automatically subject to the you're tax. You're automatically subject, yeah. okay. I think the, the bigger vulnerability is really rentals. So um, okay. where you say, oh, I'm renting it to somebody uh, and, uh, you know, because it's, people hopefully will be alive to the fact it's very easy to check whether they paid taxes here or not. Um, I'm renting it to somebody. And, and so I think that'll be the more challenging area around ensuring yeah. that, you know, it's rented to someone arm's length and so on. And when you, I think on the declaration form, when you, uh, w there was a section about renting and uh, do you have to actually declare the name of the individual or do you, do you know any of those details? Or? You need to declare that it's rented. It needs to be rented for market rate and, um, and you need to declare the rent as income. As income. Yeah. But as far as, do you have to name the person as to who I you're renting I don't believe you to? do, no. No. So that's, that's where it can be abused. Yeah. Because you could just write out, I'm renting yeah. to, uh, you know, John Wayne and, you know. That, yeah, you know, no, I don't think, I don't think it requires you to declare the person's name. Right. Yeah. Okay. So um, one of the questions I have about this, because there are, I'm sure, in my neighborhood, right in my, you know, two block radius, because there's just so many empty homes, either either you guys are raking it in tax wise, because mm -hmm. these are very high end homes. I mean, some of these homes are north of 10, 15 million dollar uh, assessed values, mm -hmm. um, or they're, they're either, you know, lying about the rent or they're just saying that declaring that they actually live in this residence or they live in this location. Maybe they have a you know, the 19-year-old the UBC student that bought the $36 million home. Um, how come there's no kind of whistleblower program? I mean, wouldn't that make sense that the province have some kind of program so that a guy like me can feel safe in knowing that, you know, if I am going to so-called squeal on my neighbors, I'm not going to have to. Because I talked to the, the city of Vancouver also doesn't have one. They basically hmm. told me, well, just call us up and give us the details. I'm like, well, I don't know if I want to do that, you know. Yeah. What if my neighbor gets really pissed at me? Yeah, I don't. I mean, we we do certainly, if people have information about tax fraud, they should, certainly should call the provincial government and share that information with the Ministry yeah. of Finance. Um, but I, I agree with you. I don't think we have a program that's like a Crime Stoppers kind of yeah. a program like I think Revenue Canada does. Yeah. Um, and is so that, that's a good suggestion. I mean, I think there's an opportunity there for sure. I, yeah. The reality is, I think, on the ground that there are enough um, kind of obvious uh, issues with declarations that uh, may have been made yeah. uh, that it'll keep the auditors busy for a while. For a while. Um, but uh, but certainly um, if, if there are sort of uh, uh, issues with, I know, you know, for example, and this is more on the commercial side, on 10th Avenue, there are a number of vacant stores and it leads to problems with rats and with, uh, with you know, there was a fire in, in one of the stores. And so, you know, these, these kinds of problems that come with vacant properties yeah. um, in the university endowment lands, there are some issues with residential properties around that as well. Um, then, uh, you know, they might be more prioritized. So if there are issues like that, people should definitely yeah. call up. And Do you feel that the province is uh, equipped at this point to, like, actually oversee such a huge new project as far as the auditors are concerned? Yeah. Um, 
Not not to the level that I would like. I mean, this mm. is very new. Uh, yeah. So we've, we've been in power for a couple of years. The text took a while to prepare and implement. Uh, yeah. And this is the first um, uh, full year of implementation, uh, the first fiscal full year of fiscal implementation. Yeah. Um, and uh, so it'll take some time to ramp it up. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and I feel the same way about Revenue Canada. I mean, I feel like they're more alive now to the issues around this, yeah. uh, but they're still not where they should be either. Um, and so there's lots of space for us to do uh, more on this and to do a better job. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned that uh, the province and Revenue Canada have a information sharing agreement. Yeah, there are new information sharing, sharing okay. agreements with the province. So, yeah. so going back to my example of the street, the home across the street, let's just, let's say they did make a declaration or they've got this sort of bogus uh, rental arrangement. Yes. And I call them out on it. I don't care about the whistleblower, but I just tell you my MLA, hey, I think you should flag this yeah. house. You run it up the flagpole to somebody in the audit team. And they go and pull it. And let's say they see, okay, there is a social insurance number. Are they able to actually get the information from CRA as to who, how much declared income that person's had? Yeah. So the, I mean, historically, um, the province and the feds have been able to share um, information because the feds collect tax on behalf of the province, right. and they they do that administration for the province. Yeah. Um, and so that information does get shared. Uh, the new information sharing is more in relation to the real estate uh, piece and the speculation tax information and that kind of thing. Okay. Um, so it's it's information that's now available more to federal uh, regulators as well. Okay. And this is something that we're looking at doing more so on the money laundering front as well. To, and to vice versa. Feds. Okay. Yeah. And vice versa. Yeah. And both. And also on the money laundering. That's right. Okay. Um, okay. One other item I want to talk to you about, and and it's just before we started, you mentioned that you hadn't seen this before, so maybe. But this is the document you got in front. Well, of I've you seen there. the bill. I saw it was in the when it was yeah. in the house, but okay. um, but I didn't so, focus on this so section. So th this piece I thought was interesting because there's obviously a series of exemptions in the um, uh, speculation and vacancy tax, but this particular item caught my attention because it's actually just before the exemptions. Mm -hmm under what is defined as a principal residence. Now, yes. in CRA's definition of a principal residence is really straightforward. <laughs> one can only have one principal residence, and even a couple can't have two principal residences because, as you know, you know, when you own a principal residence, um, whatever gains you make on that home over the life of owning it is tax-free, is it tax-exempt. Yes. And so CRA doesn't want to allow have uh, you and your wife or my and my wife to have own two different homes. That's right. Claim, okay? But you guys have gone in here and you've actually said there is a circumstance under which uh, an individual can have a second residence. Yeah, and this wouldn't apply to the capital gains rules no, no, federally. This is, this no, is solely for the speculation this is tax, yes. This is specifically yes. for this That's right. uh, speculation yeah. tax. But what caught my attention, and it's, it applies around, just to read this here, basically uh, it says that the principal residence of one spouse is located on Vancouver Island and the principal residence of the other spouse is not. That's mm -hmm. the that's this part right, uh, yes. right there. Yeah. Um, and then it says, or it can meet the other criteria, which is that you could have effectively two properties on Vancouver Island as long as the two properties are at least 100 kilometers apart from each other. That's right. Now, David, my cynical part of ish. me yeah. is looking at this and saying, and I noticed that there wasn't any one NDP Green or Liberal MLA that spoke up against this piece. Right. And I thought, why would they have targeted specifically Vancouver Island and yeah. talking about you know, individuals who the spouse has to go somewhere else for work, because that's where it says is considered to have yeah. uh, a principal residence for uh, enabling, it says enable one of them to carry on business or work in a particular location. That's right. And, you know, the cynical side of me, and this is not a knock at you personally, but maybe you can represent, you can speak to the group of all MLAs, is it seems to me like this was like an exemption for MLAs. It was like, okay, well, you know, we all, many of us will be in other parts of the province. You're here in the lower mainland. You've got people up north, out east. Mm -hmm. And so we should be able to own a home 
in Victoria and own a home in our own home community and not have to pay the vacancy or speculation tax on our place in Victoria. I mean, that's effectively how yeah. I read this. Well, you know, I can, and, I can give a generous uh, read to your understanding of it and say that almost certainly MLAs could immediately think of not just MLAs, but public servants yeah. and others that are back and forth between Vancouver Island and okay. and the mainland on a regular basis. So that may be why there weren't, weren't questions people could immediate, immediately oh, so think, of, be just the, think of five or six people that are doing that, right? Yeah. And they could think, of, well, th those aren't the people that we're trying to target here. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's just go through the section. Okay. Um, and so it's section A is a requirement. So you yeah. have to... Um, have a business or work in a particular location that requires the spouses to live separate and apart. Yeah. Um, so that's a requirement. Yeah. And then the second is either of the following applies. One is uh, Vancouver Island and the resident of the other spouse is not. Yeah. And I think the reason why that's separate is if you look at the second section, it talks about the location being at least 100 kilometers less than the distance between the principal residence and the and that particular location. If you go on Vancouver Island, from Vancouver Island to the mainland or to the Sunshine Coast, or yeah. to it may be less than 100 kilometers. Right. Um, so it it it's a scenario where although you're closer than 100 kilometers, yeah. logistically, uh, logistically speaking. with the ferries yeah, and the, everything, and everything yeah. else, you know, it's, it's so the idea is simply that where someone has to work remotely. Uh, and they have to live away from home for work, and they buy a place in order to facilitate that, that that's not what we were trying to capture with the speculation tax. Okay. Okay, so this isn't designed uniquely for, like, I'm just curious as to why it said Vancouver Island, but you're pointing out that item number two is the distance that the principal residence of the spouse and the yeah. one carrying on business is at least 100 kilometers apart. So if you're Jimmy Pattison, and you've got your palace home here, and you've got your palace home in Kelowna, and legitimately, the guy's got, I mean, he's probably got lots of homes in D.C. Right. Who knows what the public registry will eventually find yeah. out. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but if he has to travel more than 100 kilometers, he should be able to have, or his wife has a home. You know, she has the home here. He declares that's his home in Kelowna because he's got a bunch of- He's got work there. You yeah. know, he's got a car dealership there. Yeah, sure. <laughs> grocery store and whatever else yeah. he owns. Yeah. Um, is, is that the idea behind this? Yeah, I mean- uh, I don't, I don't think the idea behind it was necessarily Jimmy Pattison. The idea yeah. was that this is a big province, a yeah. lot of people, and it's a dispersed province. And so a lot of people have to travel for work. It's not unusual for people to uh, buy a place where they work yeah. uh, in some circumstances. And so um, that we didn't want to capture those folks in the, in the bill. That wasn't the activity that we were hoping to get. Okay. Okay, that's great. Thanks. Um, how are we doing for time? Because I know you guys are pretty, we would have about a half an hour. How are we doing right now? I didn't actually check. We're at 26, so maybe, I don't know, the last thing would be... 10 minutes? We can, okay, 10 minutes. Because I do want to touch yeah. on what I think you'd like to as well yeah. is the public registry. Before we do right. that, let's talk about the school tax because yeah, these good. damn signs are all over our neighborhood. I don't have one in my front of my house, of course, you know that. But you see these big red signs. They yes. talk about the Abbey tax, and yes. uh, you know, and this is around the school tax. Um, one of the things, and just to give you guys credit, and I'm not here to just pump your tires, as you know. I mean, I'm, I'm just as, you know, I have critical things as much as I have. Like, but I want to say one thing I really appreciate the NDP has done is, um, and you can value this because you have a young child like myself, is the number of schools that have these decrepit old uh, playgrounds. And in fact, for health reasons, uh, for sec or safety reasons, a lot of the school districts like Vancouver have been tearing these, uh, school, these uh, school playgrounds down. Um, uh, General Brock Elementary School, which is an inner city school that my two, my niece and nephew have been going to for years. Um, my niece hasn't had a, a playground up until this last year mm. for like three, four years because it was like a 40-year-old playground that right. apparently, you know, wasn't suitable anymore. 
I mean, I, we got through it, but yeah, yeah. I mean, that's another, <laughs> another broken bones. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally. Yeah. But you guys came out with a policy. I don't even remember this, that you guys came out with a policy. I think you put our a program where you've put $3 million at work to build new schools for school, uh, uh, school playgrounds for new for schools, because the school boards don't cover that. That's right. And I thought it was really great. I mean, you know, yeah, someone who, like kind of a basic thing, right? It's a basic, like yeah. imagine going to your school and there's no playground in the country we live in with yeah. everything we have, all the resources we have. So anyways, I want to just compliment you guys on that. Yeah, it's a good policy. I think it's a great I policy. Agree. And I'm really glad you guys have done that because what I think it shows is that you guys, even you could have easily pointed the finger back at the Vancouver school board or the other school board and say, no, no, you guys got to make this part of your, you know, your agenda and you're put it in your budget and take cut from other places. But instead of doing that, you guys just said, let's just fix the problem right away. And that's something I, I do really appreciate. So thank you for doing that. Right on. Um, but I do want to talk about the school tax because yeah. to me, what it is, is just a high value home tax. It's just an yes, additional, and we're talking about the, it's actually coined the additional school tax. Yes. So this is the 0.2% additional tax on home, on the value of a home exceeding three to million, but below 4 million. Yeah. And then from 4 million and above, it goes to 40 basis points. Yeah, 0.4%. Um, and you guys call it a school tax, yet there's no specific wording that says this money is going to go directly back into this particular school or to schools in general. Mm -hmm. um, I know on your website you state that, well, you know, we spend way more on schools than we get in funding. Um, but you could make the same claim about many things, whether it's roads, whether it's, uh, you know, health, he you know, the, the health system. Yep. So I'm really, I, f I want to know why you guys decided to call this a school tax. Because I just, I feel, and of course the neighbors too, don't feel like it's a school tax. I think you just call it what it is, which is a high high value home tax. Yeah. Um, well, two pieces. I mean, okay. frankly, I wish we'd called it something else too. Um, the school tax has been around for a long time. It's the provincial portion of the property tax that people pay. Yeah. The additional school tax is the new initiative, and it was called the additional school tax because that's what it was. I guess that seemed like sort of the appropriate name. Um, I agree. I mean, I, I, but I'm not sure that people would like it any better if it was called the uh, high value home uh, <laughs> property tax, right. right? I just don't think that they would. I think yeah. um, now in terms of schools themselves, we've increased spending on schools by about a billion dollars and that the increased revenue from the, the additional school tax is significantly less than a billion dollars. Um, so people say, oh, well, you haven't put it into schools. We, you could have, and, and maybe it would have been a good idea for finance to put that provision uh, into law and say it has to be put into schools, but it wouldn't change any situation on the ground because we have. We've vastly exceeded right. the amount of money taken yeah. through the school through tax the school in tax. terms of additional new funding for schools for various things, including mm -hmm. playgrounds that we were just talking about. Um, I think that the, the core of it is, um, when I talk to people in terms of their rejection, it's not the name. It's not that the, the funding isn't, these are objections that people have, but the real objection is, look, I bought this house 30 years ago. I'm a social worker. I didn't make a ton of money. I scrimped and saved to buy this place. And then a bunch of speculators and investors and money launderers bought up property around me. It's not my fault. Right. And I don't want to move. Yeah. I like my house. Um, and, uh, and now you're saying I have to pay, you know, my house is now worth $15 million. And so I have to pay an extra. And some of the bills are quite significant when you get to yeah, point two sure. and point four on a $15 million home. Yeah. And so those are really difficult conversations in terms of that objection for me, because, uh, you know, from the perspective of these folks are like, they're no better off really. Like they're still living on their income that they earned. 
Uh, and just because their house is worth $15 million doesn't mean they have $15 million in the bank to live on and yeah, they're, living they're the high life, right? We, in our industry, we call asset-rich cash poor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and, and yet at the same time, uh, that is driving a massive uh, gap between the wealthiest people in our society, which they are, mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, everybody else. Yeah. And that growing gap is a, a public policy issue because it breeds a bunch of uh, issues. Yeah. Uh, and so the question is, how do you recognize the fact that um, the individual is worth $15 million in reality, uh, and yet simultaneously they feel like they aren't worth $15 million? And I think that gap has been a big challenge. Uh, there is no way for me to either convince the finance minister if she changed the name or if she dedicated it to right. schools that people would suddenly feel that that was okay. Yeah. Um, I think the reality is around this uh, gap between um, the winners and a lot of losers in the housing market. Sure. Uh, and even if people don't feel like winners because they lost their neighborhoods and there are vacant homes around them and that kind of yeah. thing, financially, um, they are. And uh, and so that is a that is a big challenge for sure. Yeah, I understand. That makes sen- makes sense. Um, can can individuals who are on a fixed income, uh, maybe they're not even you know late stage in their retirement, but just early stage. Are they able to defer the tax? Are they able to do that to the province? Yeah. So there, I mean, there are mitigating pieces, and and one of them is that the province subsidizes a program where people can defer the taxes mm-hmm. uh, and pay them when they sell their home. Yeah. Now people say, oh, I don't want to borrow. I don't. It feels like I'm selling off my home bit by bit. Uh, the uh, tax is a fraction of a fraction of the appreciation of the value of the homes over the last five years. Yeah. Even, um, and so. Uh, it's it's harder for me when I leave the neighborhood to explain why it is that we're subsidizing the ability of this group of very wealthy people to defer their taxes mm-hmm. when other people in the province don't get to do that. Right. Um, and that's a harder conversation, actually. Um, so I try to tell people, you know, it's actually quite a good program. And yeah. and uh, but, you know, it's uh, it's in the context of a much more difficult conversation. Obviously. Yeah. yeah, it's not an easy one. Well, you know, hopefully maybe this podcast helps. Uh, explain that a little easier for people who don't get it. I mean, I get it. I'm not in those people's situation. I'm a working individual, so I can afford, I can, you know, I can pay the added tax. And, you know, I would, I like to know that the money's going towards school. So I did like seeing you guys uh, support, say, for example, that playground um, item. Um, you know, I don't like paying tax as anybody else, but uh, it's a requirement for our society. You know, there's other things that, we, you know, if we had more time, we could talk about Trade and Invest BC, you know, this, the central deposit program. There's lots of ways in which you as a government could also be doing better as far as cutting costs for the province, but we don't have time for that. So um, that's a good answer. Thanks for that, David. Let's just, because we are li- limited on time, let's go into this uh, beneficial ownership slash uh, public registry. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to just high level for listeners that maybe have never heard about this before? Because this is coming, right? This is coming in the fall. That's right. right. Okay. It'll start with um, new purchases and it'll okay. move into all existing homes. Okay. Uh, we have a land title registry that has, uh, it should have, uh, a list of all of the owners of all the real estate in the province. So if you uh, have a business with a piece of property or if you slip and fall on a piece of property or whatever, you can look up the address and you can find out who the owner is. And the challenge that we have with that is that uh, the, a, a significant and growing portion of the residential property market, especially at the high end, is owned by numbered companies or trusts or offshore trusts, offshore companies, uh, where it's impossible to determine who the actual owner is. Mm-hmm. And the, f- the result of that is that our real estate market acts as a 
uh, shield for people who want to put money in and conceal the fact that they're the source of the money. Mm -hmm. So what we would like to do with this beneficial ownership registry is require that the actual owner, the source of the funds that's going into the property is declared in a public registry. Mm -hmm. And it's a public registry for a couple of reasons. The first is that British Columbia doesn't necessarily know that somebody came from some country halfway around the world where they siphoned a bunch of money out of the government banks and then put it into real estate into Vancouver. We just don't know that. And so if it's public, it creates the possibility for law enforcement and other jurisdictions to find that person right? Um, and to find that they put money into, into Vancouver real estate. Uh, and the second piece is for local um, issues, uh, it's important to ask any journalist. It's critically important for them to be able to do the work, to follow the money, to do public accountability work for watchdogs, to do public accountability work in terms of our real estate market. And just to give you an idea about the scope of the problem, mm -hmm. Transparency International Canada found that half of the most valuable residential properties in British Columbia, the vast majority of which are in the community that we live in, mm -hmm. uh, the west side of Vancouver, um, for half of those, it was almost half, it was impossible to figure out who owned those properties. And so we know that people are putting money in using uh, mechanisms to deliberately conceal who the actual owner is. And, uh, and for a number of reasons, tax enforcement, law enforcement, and general accountability, we think that it would be better if British Columbia led the way in requiring them to disclose who owns it. Okay, okay, good. So that's great intro or summary of that. Thank you. That's not the layman's terms of what I was looking for. Um, so let me ask you a couple pointed questions on this. So the, well, maybe I'll start by making a statement. So in, uh, in the neighborhood that we live in, I often hear people say, oh, it's those you know, mainland Chinese that have driven up prices. They're the ones... And other people say, "Are this these this you know it's money launderers?" And you know, I my view is there's probably a number of factors. I actually think the most the biggest underlying factor is that we've had all time low interest rates and all time low borrowing cost of borrowing debt for over a decade since the financial crisis. Mm -hmm. So people have been leveraging up their balance sheets personally all across the country, and it's it's well documented. So I actually think that's the biggest driving force. But what I like about what you guys are doing with this model is you're going to be able to either validate or dispel this myth that is foreign money and money laundering that has driven up prices. Because you and I actually don't know right now, right? We can make a guess based on walk around our neighborhood like me, right. uh, like I am and seeing that... There's a shocking know, lack of data on like a shocking one of our of biggest drivers of the economy. Exactly. Yeah. And for a person who works in the securities industry, as we said just before we started filming, you know, the real estate industry's requirements for disclosure of beneficial ownership and, uh, and, and AML, anti-money laundering, is like way down here. And in my industry, it's like way up here. Like the, it's a, so people in my industry think it's a big bit of a joke. Like the, the, you know, there's, the real estate people are up in arms over this thing because to me, we've been having to do this for years uh, in the securities industry. I mean, if you want to open an account to buy some shares in Royal Bank, you have to virtually give your left arm just to be able to open an account. So I get that. Um, and I think it's a great idea, but here's the, it's a double-edged sword. Because the problem is, now you're looking like big brother, big government, snooping into my privacy. And if you're making a public registry, uh, now we're talking about security risk. Again, to use, to use Jimmy Pattison. He's one of the wealthiest people, probably the wealthiest person in BC. It, it sounds to me the way this public registry is going to work is it's not like the land titles uh, uh, website where you have to you actually have to pay seven fifty or twelve bucks for every title you want to you know do a search on which would be prohibitive for people to do ge generally m massive searches but it sounds the way you which you guys going to roll this out is it's literally open for everybody to dial in and see what you own and what i own and what ross owns and i'm just wor wondering about how do you guys stick handle this because there's a there's a risk here to individuals yeah. of knowing 
who owns what homes and where I live. Yeah, so the, my preference around the data um, uh -huh. for real estate generally is that it be free um, and open and accessible. Um, and uh, there is a really important policy issue that you raise. So you've got uh, prosecutors doing gang crime work. You've got police officers doing undercover work or anti-organized crime work. You've got uh, a, a woman fleeing an abusive husband. Right. You've got a pop star uh, who has, uh, you know, 15 different stalkers, you know, yeah. there, there are several different categories of individuals that you can think of that, um, although there is a public interest in having broad access to information, there is a significant private interest in maintaining their safety. And, yeah. and so, um, the, uh, act, uh, creates the possibility for a person to say, look, you know, here's who I am, government. You know yeah. now that I own this property. Yeah. Um, but there is a significant uh, public interest in, in my safety. We want to keep people safe. Uh, and I'm under threat from this and this and this. And uh, and so it is possible for people to not have their names included in the database. Okay. But they still have to make the declaration to government. So sure. the government, for the purposes of regulation, tax authority, policing, and so on, can follow the money, even if you're famous, okay. even if you're a police officer or a judge, yeah. that authorities are still able to review that information. Okay. Well, that's great. I didn't know that. That's excellent. So can a person like myself make that? I mean, I'm not a pop star. I'm not a politician like you. But I run a Bitcoin business, and there's a lot of bad actors in that in that space, as I've told you about. Yeah. And I sure as heck wouldn't want some of those people, uh, you know, some of those criminals, uh, to know where I live. Right. So um, there is a test that'll be administered by the the public servants that are responsible for the registry. It'll be the same folks that do the land title registry, and they'll be applying. They're creating policy for who qualifies for the exemption and who doesn't. And so you would make that application that shows that you have some sort of specific concern that someone was threatening you, and yeah. um, and then uh, ideally you'd have some sort of supporting documentation around police reports and so on. Yeah, we do. Yeah. 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 Okay. So it would have to be pretty. You have a pretty strict criteria. Yeah, is because that, the the focus is on openness around uh, around this registry. Okay. Yeah. So if you're just a super high wealth, highly wealthy individual that's not really in the in the limelight, you're just a, you know, CEO of a boring company that your family's had for uh, two generations, and you're worth fifty million dollars. Those people could have their name registered for their thirty million dollar home in the area that we live Absolutely. in. Absolutely, and and frankly, the vast majority of British Columbians do. I, mm. I, the, already, yeah, already have yeah. their property under their real name, which is yeah. searchable under a database. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, great. This is great, David. Thanks great. for coming in. Yeah, thanks for having um, me. Yeah, yeah. I'd love congratulations to have you on the podcast. I uh, yeah. wish you luck with it. Yeah, thanks. I'd love to have you get come in again because we didn't even get to jump on the um, uh, on the uh, uh, money laundering, which is an area that you know you and I've talked about, yeah. and I see on the ground level some of the activity that goes on there. So. I like the work you guys are doing. I, I'm not not totally happy with the last report because it was based on some very big data from I think it was the IMF. But yeah. we don't have time to talk about it today. But let's let's yeah. have you come back in another time and maybe talk, especially as you guys get more, uh, you know, more Good. progress over the yeah, next while. Thanks, okay. man. Thanks, Dave. excellent. Okay. Right on. Appreciate it.